and answers begins right now. Social media is changing culture, the church, the workplace, and our homes. Unhealthy consumption of social media can distort our purpose, view of reality, relationships, ability to discern truth, and so much more. What are healthy boundaries and guidelines for social media use? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zugren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat began an interview with author Chris Martin, talking about his book, Wolf in Their Pockets. If you've missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and there you will find this message entitled Wolf in Their Pockets and hundreds more podcasts that you may listen to or download. Now, let's get right to our conclusion. I think social media is a sort of entertainment platform almost before anything else, but it can be incredibly entertaining to get in arguments with people, to fight with people. And so I think it's important for us to remember to maintain our values rooted in God's word and what he instructs us. I think it's important for us to maintain our values so that we don't let ourselves be consumed by the values of social media, which again are entertainment, attention, and uh, building up of identity. Yes, you're listening to our interview with Chris Martin, author of the book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. Now, Chris, you named 13 ways social internet threatens people you lead. Uh, Folks, you'll have to get the whole book. It's a great book. You have to get the whole book to learn all 13 ways. We're just going to go over maybe three, maybe four if we have time uh, with Chris here. But these were uh, very relevant and very engaging here. So you you named several ways social media threatens people. And the first one, you kind of touched on it already, you know, that social media provides us endless entertainment. Well, what's the danger there? Oh, man, I I think the the danger of endless entertainment is, well, I think there are probably a lot, but but I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is that we can come to believe that being entertained is what matters more than anything. Yeah. And and I think a, a sneaky consequence, because you know it's, it's far easier to say one of the negative effects of social media is it makes us get into arguments with people all the time. Oh, yeah, clearly that's a problem because you know we don't want to be combative. We want to seek peace with everyone so far as we can do it as God's word tells us. And, and so, you know, that kind of thing is like, oh yeah, don't use social media, just get in fights. But if someone says, oh, just use social media to be entertained. It's like, oh, well, that's not so bad. Like it's not a sin to be entertained. Like watching movies isn't wrong. Watching, watching TV shows or listening to music that's entertaining is not wrong. However, there is truly endless entertainment on the internet. There's more entertainment content on the internet today than you could watch probably in a hundred lifetimes, <laughs> let alone uh, how much content's added every day. There are lifetimes of content added to the internet every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us, the biggest concern isn't so much that being entertained or wanting to be entertained is bad. However, it can sort of become, you know, a problem when we think that being entertained is the ultimate purpose. And that if something isn't entertaining to me, then it's not worth my time. And I think this especially can become a problem for those of us who are Christians, is we can start to see the church experience as an entertainment experience that we consume, rather than a worship experience in which we participate. Now, I think we've been going that way in the Western church for a long time anyway. Uh 
because of frankly because of the television and and other forms of mass entertainment media in the last hundred years. But I think social media can sort of supercharge that as it supercharges so many other things. And so I think it's important for us as Christians to see the local church experience as a means of participating in the kingdom of God as ambassadors of his kingdom and the Sunday morning worship experience as a sort of cornerstone element of that, rather than, as many of us, I think, have in at least the American church, if not the Western church generally, kind of participate in the local church as an inter... Like, we, we go to the local church worship experience on a Sunday much the same way we would go see a stand-up comedian on a Saturday night or see a concert <laughs> on Friday evening or things like that. Yeah. And I think social media, because of its incredible emphasis on entertainment... And by nature, the fact that we are inherently discipled by social media simply by using it, I think the more we use social media, the more we come to see entertainment as important. And then that can start to seep into other parts of our lives, like our participation in the local church. And so in the book, that's what I spend a good bit of time writing about is like, hey, pastor, your goal is not to be entertaining. It's fine if you are entertaining. There's nothing wrong with being a funny pastor or a great speaker or anything like that. But your goal is not to be entertaining, even if it feels like maybe your church members are constantly and increasingly demanding that of you. Yes. And so I think for, for us as believers, we just need to have the wisdom to, again, engage intentionally rather than uncritically and start to have some checks for ourselves to say, OK, when is this entertainment bit becoming too important for me? And how can I get loose of those tendrils of, of entertainment being ultimate? Yes, you know, and uh, I think you bring up a great point. I think that's a real important point for Christian leaders and pastors who are listening because, you know, it can be kind of subtle. We kind of buy into it and we don't know we've kind of bought into it. Yeah, that really has affected a, a lot of ministry in church. I talked to numerous pastors. They're just so annoyed. I just had lunch with one the other day and he kept saying, entertain me, entertain me. That's what the people want. You know, they want to be entertained kind of things. And uh, I remember the other day I was preaching on Revelation and one of the criticisms someone told me is that they said, you didn't tell enough jokes. You know, you're serious up there. And I'm like, what? It's serious stuff, man. You know I mean? You know, we're right. talking about the tribulation and the end. So a lot of churches maybe have bought into it and they don't know that they have bought into it. How can they critique themselves or, you know, step outside and, and see if they've bought into this idea or not? Yeah, man, this is really hard. And this is one of the hardest questions when it comes to this sort of thing. And this is why I think community is so important. Throughout the book, I think in various chapters, I just talk about the importance of walking this road with other people. And for me, like, and for a lot of folks, like if you're married, your spouse can, I think, if your spouse is, you know, as spiritual maturity, where they can kind of disciple you in this way and, and hold you accountable in this way, like your spouse can do a really, really great job of keeping you from falling into this too much. Like my wife regularly will call me out if she thinks I've been scrolling on social media too much. Because again, I, I like social media. I like watching TikTok and YouTube and scrolling on Twitter to see what's going on in the world. If my wife's trying to get my attention or is like, hey, you've been, you've been on your phone a lot, put that down. That's great. Like that's, I love that she can keep me in check like that. I think for a lot of folks who are married or if, even if you like have roommates, people who you are among a lot, those kinds of people can be incredibly helpful. And if you don't have that, having somebody like we have a community group, we have community groups, small groups at our church that meet in homes and my wife and I lead one. And I meet one-on-one -on -one regularly with guys in our community group to talk about this and any number of things where we're trying to hold each other accountable to becoming more like Jesus and social media use and using it wisely can be a really important part of a sort of discipleship and accountability relationship. And also 
what's great is I think, you know, I know Apple's doing this. I'm sure this is the case on Android phones as well. There are tools being given to us more and more that allow us to curtail our time on these things. So like, just for example, on the Apple iPhone in the settings, there is a way to limit your screen time on certain categories of apps. So let's say, you know, you don't want to limit your screen time on your phone because, you know, you want to be able to go to your Google Maps or your flight information or whatever. But, you know, you could, you don't, you know, you're like, hey, I don't need to spend any more than an hour on social media apps and all of them in a given day. You can go in and you can set up a feature where you can say, hey, Apple, don't let me use social media apps for more than an hour in any given day. And when I get to that point, lock down all those apps. And in order to use them, I have to type in a code in order to get more time to access them. It's like parental controls, but for yourself rather than your children. If you can do it such that, you know, you have the self-control to, you know, you have the code, but you don't override it all the time, then go for it. But if you find yourself just overriding that every time, you're like, okay, my hour is up, but man, I really want to watch this one more video. And you type in your little code and you get to go watch the video and you can't kind of have that self-control. Maybe again, you create that screen time passcode. You need to give that screen time passcode to a spouse or a friend or someone like that, an accountability partner who can say, hey, you spent your hour watching videos or scrolling Twitter today. You don't need to spend another hour until tomorrow. So, you know, go read a book or whatever else. So there are actually tools on a lot of these devices today that can help us with this. And I, I think we should use those, especially if we're having trouble kind of having to discipline ourselves. Yeah, that's great advice. Wise words there. Now, here's another one that I found very significant. You said social media distorts our sense of purpose. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I think you know, our relationship with social media is a powerful factor in distorting our sense of purpose. I think, you know, we're pretty good at misunderstanding our sense of purpose before social media came around. So I don't think I don't think social media has the corner cornered the market on distorting our purpose. But I think there are a few ways this happens. First, I think social media makes it feel like we can be anyone we want to be at any time. And in some degree, that's kind of cool because like, you know, you could Maybe you're a YouTube, you want to be a YouTuber who loves talking about classic cars. Okay, cool. Like you can go be that person or whatever. There's a kind of neat element to that. At the same time, it can sort of make you have this uh, light sense of a sort of split personality where like who I am on Twitter is different than who I am at church and who I am at church is different than who I am on Facebook or whatever else. And I think, you know, social media, by making it feel like we can be anyone we want anytime, can distort our understanding of who we're truly meant to be at all. And so I think that can be pretty detrimental. Secondly, social media makes certain lifestyles appear more valuable than others. There's a survey that's been much publicized in the last couple of years uh, that went out to preteens in the U.S. and the United Kingdom asking them what they wanted to be when they grew up. This is back in 2018. And the highest ranked profession that kids wanted to be when they grew up was a YouTuber or a vlogger, which, Uh let's be clear, at first, some people are like, oh, are you kidding me? Like kids don't want to be firefighters or baseball players anymore. Come on. This is so sad. And I'm like, okay, look, I get that. But at the same time, you know, these 10 and 12 year olds who are watching YouTubers, what they see is, is they see somebody who is rich and famous by playing video games or playing pranks on their friends <laughs> or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And they're like, of course I want to be that. And then, so like, even though it's easy to scoff at the preteen who says they want to be a YouTuber at the same time, being rich as a 32-year-old, I can look at this and say, would it be cool to be rich and famous for just hanging out with my friends and playing funny games? Well, yeah, of yeah. course. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so like, I get it. But at the same time, it makes 
social media has made certain lifestyles or certain professions seem more glamorous than maybe they really are. And, and maybe they're not as worthwhile as they appear. And so I think it can distort our purpose in that sense as well, especially among young people. So those, those are just a couple of examples of how I think we should be aware of how social media can distort our sense of purpose. Yeah. And to follow up on that, how should a disciple of Christ be seeking his purpose or calling in life? Yeah, I think if you are trying to figure this out yourself, or perhaps you're even a leader, you know, you're a small group leader in your local church, or you're even a parent and you're discipling the kids in your house. I think these are just a couple of ways I think we can cultivate a sort of biblical understanding of purpose, whether in our own hearts or in the hearts of people we're trying to lead. First, I think remind people of the others focused God glorifying purpose for which they were created or for yourself. Remind yourself of how you're meant to be others focused and you have a God glorifying purpose uh, that you've been created for. And so I think we need to be reminded to love others before we love ourselves. Social media does not reward altruism as much as it rewards self-promotion. And so I think we need to be really aware of our hearts being pulled toward being told that it's okay to care more about yourself than other people and be reminded of our purpose that we're actually called to love others more than ourselves. Secondly, um, I think it's important for us to create a loving and purpose-driven culture of community. I think it's important for us, you know, I I cite in the book, I cite Rick Warren's purpose-driven life and how community that's driven by purpose is really important. And I think it's important for us to as we lead in the community that is our house or the community that is our local church, whatever it is, we need to be having the sort of purpose that we've been given by God to glorify him and enjoy him and share that with other people. That should be at the center of any sort of community we have the ability to be a part of and even lead. And so those are just a couple of ways. There are certainly a dozen more that we could go through, but those are just a couple of ways I think that we can sort of cultivate a biblical understanding of purpose in our everyday lives and in the lives of people that we that we may get to lead. Yeah. And just one more that we'll be going over here. Chris has stated that there's 13 ways social internet threatens people. You'll have to get the book to read all 13 ways. We're just going to cover one more here. And you can see how insightful but also practical it is, the things that he is saying. But Chris, you state that social media hinders discernment. That's very disconcerting to me in in apologetics. Uh, Talk about that one. Yeah, social media hinders discernment in all kinds of ways. I think this is one of the, when I ask, I'm not a pastor. This book book is for pastors, church leaders, parents, people who are kind of discipling other people. And so I'm not a pastor on staff at a local church. I've served in student ministry for over a decade and have been in church leadership for a number of years. But as I was beginning to write this book, I asked a bunch of pastors. I said, hey, you know, you're on staff at a church in the, in the mud of local church ministry every day. If I was writing a book on this, what what are some chapters that would be important? And one of the most popular answers was a chapter on discernment because pastors are seeing a lack of discernment in their people and they've rooted it in social media use and, and social media discipleship. And so that's why I felt the need to include this. I think one of the most prominent ways that our relationship with social media creates a lack of discernment is that our social media, our relationship with social media creates a sort of content glut that clouds reality and hinders discernment. I think any, you know, there's a great quote that I'm going to paraphrase from Neil Postman. Actually, I I have it right here. Uh, It's not, I'm not going to paraphrase it. He says, how often does it occur? He's talking about the television. This is back in 1985. Neil Postman was a media ecologist who talked about all the ways that various forms of media disciple us, basically. He's not a Christian, but that's what he was saying. He said, how often does it occur that information provided to you on morning radio or television 
actually causes you to alter your plans for the day or take some kind of action you would not have otherwise taken. And I think we should ask that question of ourselves as we scroll endless articles on Twitter or watch endless TikTok videos is how much of what I consume here is actually going to change my life? And we should realize that the more content we consume, the less likely we are going to be able to actually understand all that we consume. So oh. we, we can, we, we're just kind of skirting over the top of the surface of the water and we're not going deep at all. So we're, we might think we have an idea of what that article meant just by reading the headline. But because we're so quickly on to the next headline, we didn't actually investigate what that article was about. And so I think that's that's one of a handful of ways. You know, I think social media platforms are designed to spread sensationalism at the cost of truth rather than actually spreading the truth. That goes back to the whole entertainment value. So sensational content or content that seems outrageous performs far better on social media platforms than content that's boring but true. And if you don't know that, like if you don't know how social media platforms work, then you don't know that that article, that salacious article about a politician or an actor or a pastor or whatever is actually, you know, maybe not true, but it's designed to get a lot of people to click it and share it and react to it. We have to understand these platforms and that they are designed to incentivize sensationalism and kind of rubbernecking and looking and saying, oh, wait, what is that? What's going on? And that can really hinder discernment if we don't recognize that these platforms care more about entertainment than they care about truth. And a lot of times we're entertained by things at the cost of truth without even realizing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't long ago I was at a restaurant and I was talking to the, I struck up a conversation with the waiter and then he asked me what I do. And one of the things I said is I'm a professor at at the Christian university here. And he says, oh yeah, I, I was going to a Christian university to prepare for ministry, but I dropped out and I asked him, well, why did you? And he said, well, I'm not sure I can believe in the Bible or Christianity anymore. And I said, why? And so he started bringing up, oh, it's tied to mythology. There's these secret gospels. And I said, where'd you get your information from? I said, I teach right on this very area. And he hemmed and hawed. And I said, "Uh, can you quote me the research? And he hemmed in. And finally he said, well, it's a 15 minute YouTube video. And I said, a 15 minute YouTube video completely (laughs) dismantled your faith. You know, I was absolutely stunned. But that's not the first of those conversations I've had. I've had many since then. Like I said, I've served in student ministry for over a decade. I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations like that. And and honestly, and I'm not going to put anybody on blast here or criticize anybody, but frankly, evangelical Christians, you know, Christians in general in the West are not very good at combating exactly what you're describing. I think there are actually a lot of Catholics who create a lot of high quality YouTube content. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether or not you agree with Catholic doctrine or whatever is not the point of what I'm saying. They're very good at creating YouTube videos. But evangelicals, frankly, though there are some that are pretty good, we pale in comparison to the atheists or the agnostics or the mystics or other sort of people who are creating YouTube content to try to draw people away in exactly the way you described. And it's a huge need, I've noticed. I view it as almost like a sort of missionary-like need for more and more Christians who have knowledge in the things like you have to be able to create content to sort of combat sounds almost violent, but to push back against the narrative that's so, like there's just, I, I, this isn't a, a stat I could back up, but it certainly feels like there are 10 or 12 or even 20 videos by an atheist about why Christianity or why the Bible is unreliable for every one video from a Christian there is about why the Bible is reliable. Wow. So I think that's just, there's just so much work we could do in this area to serve exactly the kind of people that you're talking about. 
Yeah. So when you're reading information on social media or the internet or YouTube, I mean, one of the suggestions I always give is I said, look at the source, look at your source. Uh, what advice could you give to help us uh, be more discerning on what we see on YouTube and, and the internet? Sure. Yeah. I think first, I think you can point people to the ministry of Jesus and the centrality of truth in the, in the Christian life. And frankly, I think one of the effect, one of the long-term side effects of social media use is that a lot of people care less about the truth now than they used to. And yeah. they care more about yeah. being affirmed in what they believe and being told what they want to hear. Yeah. And so I think we should, if, you know, if you're having a conversation with someone who's a Christian or, you know, you're like, Hey, we share the, we both share the belief that truth matters. Like let's talk about why truth matters rather than just what we want to be true matters. And so I think that's that's important. And I think, secondly, I think creating a culture of reading the Bible and other books among the people in your care is a really great idea. Like, obviously, there are plenty of books that contain untruth. But I think the more we read and the more widely read we are, the less likely we are to be led astray by videos online that just tell us what we want to hear. I advocate for Christians to regularly read stuff that they actively disagree with, because I think it's really important yeah. for us to engage with all kinds of thought. Because if we truly believe that what we believe is the truth, then no errant ideology or atheistic treatise on some topic is going to shake us from that. And so we shouldn't be afraid of reading widely and reading people that we don't agree with. And I think it can help us better have conversation with people who don't agree with us and better engage content online that may seem weird or not true or, or like it's tickling our ears. And so those are just a couple, a couple of the ways that I think um, there are plenty of others. And I think a lot of, frankly, I think a lot of using this term on the internet just goes back to slowing down. Mm. If you just consume maybe half of as much content on social media as you consume every day, you might be able to process it a little bit more and have a better idea of whether or not what you're reading is true or trustworthy. Yes. You know, as always the case here on Evidence and Answers, you thought you've been talking to your guests for 15 minutes, but 50 minutes has gone by. So uh, we've been talking with Chris Martin, his great book here, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens People uh, You Lead. So Chris, as we wrap up the show here, uh, maybe summarize it for us again. You know, how can we use the social media for the glory of God instead of being used and shaped by social media? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to using it on your own terms and not letting it happen to you, but rather grabbing it by the horns and deciding how to use it when you want to. So very practically, some of the ways that I've done this for myself is like, I have no notifications turned on for my phone other than texting and phone calls. So I have the Twitter app on my phone. I have the Instagram app on my phone. But if anybody likes my stuff on there or retweets me or messages me, I don't get a notification. I don't get a little red bubble. I don't get a buzz on my phone. But it's like, hey, next time I open the app, I'll see whatever's there. It doesn't need to beckon me to use it. So I think part of the you know just practical wisdom is decide and, and use social media on your own terms rather than letting it beckon you and call out to you. That's one of the biggest things. And I think a lot of us, as much as it would be uncomfortable or whatever, I think a lot of us would be better off if we had someone who kind of keep us accountable to our social media use, both how much we use it and what we're consuming when we're on there. So whether that's a spouse or a friend or whatever else, I think to use social media wisely isn't to not use it at all, though I think that's a fine route. I don't think there's anything wrong with not using social media. I just think if we want to use it, we need to recognize it's incredibly powerful 
uh, as a discipleship force in our lives, and that we shouldn't treat it lightly. We should treat it and take it seriously, and that we should use it uh, and just respect its power, if you will. So set limits on yourself. Have other people who can come in alongside you and help you enforce those limits on yourself. And also, again, decide to use it on your own terms rather than letting it always be beckoning you with red bubbles and buzzes and all of those sorts of things. That's wise advice. You've been listening to our interview with Chris Martin. He's the editor of BibleToLife.com. You want more information on Chris and the things that he is writing and things like Wolf in Your Pockets, uh, that's a great place to go, BibleToLife.com. And it's a great book that he wrote here, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways Social Internet Threatens the People That You Lead. So, Chris, thanks for your book. Thanks for your work. And uh, thanks for being a guest with us here on Evidence and Answers. Of course. Thank you for having me. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find our articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker.